Welcome to Maker Mixtapes. My name is Tom Watley, and in today's episode, we're going to be talking about content operations. Maker Mixtapes is a podcast about the entrepreneurs, creators, and marketers building impressive things in their field. From content marketing to YouTube, agency life to e commerce, it's my job to dissect their success. In this episode, I'm joined by Erica Schneider, the director of editorial at Grizzle. For those of you who don't know me, Grizzle is the content marketing and SEO agency that I run. And here, Erica and I lift up the hood on our editorial processes, from hiring writers and creating solid briefs to polishing content to be the best it can be. We also wrote a free ebook about this very topic, which you can learn more about at the end of this episode. But for now, enjoy. So Erica, thanks for uh, joining me for one of the maiden voyages of this podcast. And where I thought would be a great place to start is just talking about what does a director of editorial actually do? Awesome. Thanks for having me, Tom. So in my role as the director of editorial, my job is to clean content. That's the most basic level. Make sure that the content comes out exactly the way that our clients envisioned it. And that involves a plethora of teamwork from hiring the right writers, piloting them correctly, onboarding them, giving them tons of feedback, front-loading that feedback, giving um, in-depth feedback that explains and shows exactly what I'm looking for, and then, you know, leaving avenues open for conversation to chat with the writers, answer any questions they have, and ultimately um, have a team of editors that know exactly what our clients want, what their goal is for the content, and delivering a product that just blows them away with minimal edits. I like that. So it's making sure that the right people are writing the right content and it gets delivered in the best possible state that it can be. And there's one thing you said there, and I think is a question I get a lot, and it's around hiring, finding, onboarding the right writers. And there's a lot to unpack there. So where do you think our best sources of writing talent is? Yeah. So, I mean, at Grizzle, we use ProBlogger and AngelList. Um, we also have our own um, job description on our website. So we, we tend to attract writers, first of all, through a good job description. So your job description has to explain exactly what your expectations are so that you attract the people that have aligned values. Um, but, you know, there's also outsource um, tactics that you can use. I won't go into the specifics, but once you do read a writer's portfolio and find one that you think aligns with you, it really is all about the pilot process. I can't stress this enough. There are so many talented writers out there, but there is no one size fits all writer. And there is no, you know, objectively good writer, in my opinion. It depends on not only the industry, but the clients that you have, or, or your, if you don't have clients, your specific goals. And if you can find a writer that can sort of take those on and, and bring your vision to life, and that's not easy. So that requires more than just, you know, good writing skills, good grammar, good flow. It requires the ability to understand, be a good listener, and really take the role of pulling out this vision that people have and getting it on paper in the right way. Yeah, absolutely. Because sometimes you'll see a writer's piece of content that they've written before, and it looks terrific, but they might not deliver something to the same caliber and you know oftentimes that's not just because their writing quality is subpar it might just be a match for the the topic so 
you've you've stressed the importance of a pilot project. What does that kind of look like? Yeah, so um, just to go back to the expertise, there there are a few types of writers that you can find. You can look for writers that have industry expertise that have written about the specific topic that you're looking for, or maybe they used to work in the topic that you're writing about. So they have like some unique inside insights that they can bring to the table. But you also have writers that are just really good researchers. They don't have to know anything about finance, for example, but they can go read every article on the internet, buy a book, read it, and be able to replicate those ideas in a way that makes them sound not like an expert, but like they are an authority on the on the topic, which is important. Those are the two types of writers that you almost often, you know, you have to decide for yourself, do you want someone who has this expertise or are you happy with someone who can learn it? You have to weigh up how much time that's gonna take in the front end versus feedback, et cetera. So there's a lot to unpack there, but specifically with our pilot project, once we do find that writer that we think has what we're looking for, we don't believe that we should just be like, here's a brief, send us 2000 words and we'll give you feedback. That's a bit too fast for what we think is is appropriate. And we've done a bunch of trial and error with this. We've done send us 2000 words. We're just gonna hire you right away. We're not even gonna pilot. So what we've landed on is a pilot process with three phases. We've got the outline and then we give them feedback on the outline. We work with them to make sure they've got all the themes that we're looking for and all the good detail and positioning. Then they send us 500 words or the first section, whichever they get to first. That can include the intro or not. Writers have preferences there. And then at that stage, it's super critical that you give them feedback as well because right here with these 500 words is where you can be like, okay, either I or my client is looking for this type of language, these types of sentences, this casual phrasing is either acceptable or not. This type of source is a competitor, so you, you either can't use them or you can, but in this way, you really have to like nail down those guidelines, give them all the direction they can in those 500 words, and then be like, okay, cool, now that we've had sort of a back and forth, if you don't have any more questions, go ahead and write the final draft. And nine times out of 10, that final draft is gonna include all of that feedback you gave in the 500 words, and it's just gonna be such a better final product. It just sounds so much easier and so much more streamlined. I mean, back in the early days, I would interview writers on the phone before giving them an entire project. So not just outline. We, we did the outlines ourselves in-house. So we'd write the outline, we'd send it to them and we would say, go ahead and write it under the guise, for lack of a better word, that it was a paid test project. And the amount of time I spent on the phone to writers who some would often, you know, drop out of contacts for, for lack of a better word. And like you say, sometimes they just miss the mark, whether it's because the expertise isn't there, it's not the right tone of voice. So having this process, even our writers enjoy it, right? Because they just feel like, oh, okay, we're in the hands of a professional as a writer and every everyone kind of wins, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, before I was the director of editorial here, I also did freelance writing myself. And I, I can say from personal experience, um, the more interactive and communicative a client is with you, and especially the more upfront that they tell you, these are my needs and expectations, the smoother the process is. I mean, it can all just really fall to pieces if a client says, here's a topic, like literally here's a topic, go. You know, what does that mean? What do you mean here's a topic? But I can write this in, in 10,000 different ways. So do you want me to write it? Is this top of the funnel? Like where in the funnel is this coming? Who the heck is your audience? You know, do you have guidelines? Do you like witty stuff and humor? Or are you more like a business neutral tone? Like the more that you can give your, your writers up front, the better it will be. So 
yeah, the feedback we've gotten from writers has been super positive. They, they really appreciate the time and effort that we put into telling them what we want and need from them so that they can give us what we want. I mean, writers just want to deliver what you want. That's what, that's what they're hired for. They don't want to write for their own blog that, you know, for a client, they're writing for you. So tell them exactly what you want and there's a better chance they'll give it to you. 100%. And something you said just there around guiding writers to getting your tone of voice right, you can put it in the guidelines. And in that first draft or in that first section, oftentimes writers will either, you know, nail it or they might be 50% of the way there, but they might take some liberties and just need a little bit of guidance. And that's where I think, you know, that early feedback is invaluable. And on that note, in terms of feedback, I think the type of feedback you give is just as important. And Erica, I know that you, you can write feedback for hours when it comes to emailing our writers. When you do go about executing that, what's your thought process? You know, how do you structure it? What do you give writers in order to be able to go, okay, I know exactly what I need to do now to write the best piece of content possible? Yeah, so my thought process is to lead with empathy. That's just the type of leader that I am. Um, I had a lot of good role models growing up that taught me to do that and it works for me. So I lead that way with others and I haven't gotten too many complaints. So what I do is, first of all, I don't imagine or assume that they can read my mind. How are they supposed to know what I mean if I say something vague, like, please add more detail in general? That could mean anything. Adding more detail could mean, you know, adding a whole section that's not applicable to the themes that we're going for. It can mean stuffing keywords where it's not necessary. It can mean citing a bunch of random sources and putting quotes in that don't actually add value. So I really enjoy giving detailed feedback um, and leading by example by not just saying, you know, please do this, but then specifically showing them, you know, um, I'm going to do this for you here so that you see exactly what I want and hopefully you can emulate this in the future. So I'll write long paragraphs with, you know, here's exactly what you wrote and then here's how I expanded it. And this is exactly why I did the thing I just did. You know, let me know if you have any questions. And it's such a good feeling when the next time they deliver a piece, they've done what I asked them to do and they're excited to share it with me because I didn't make them feel like they got it wrong. I just told them more about what I want. I mean, I can't stress that enough. Writers cannot read your mind. So you can hire the best writer in the world and they can disappoint you if you assume they're going to read your mind. Show them exactly what you want. Do the work yourself. Don't, you know, rewrite their whole piece for them, but Give them examples, you know, give them little nuggets that they can come back to and refer back to when they do their next draft. Absolutely. And I've seen the emails that you've sent after, you know, working with writers for a few rounds, a few projects where, you know, I'll, I'll see an, an email come into my inbox and, and you just say there are a couple of typos, but otherwise nothing to say. And that's when we know we've done our, well, we've done our job, right? That is the best feeling. I, yeah, I mean, I'm running out of, of fun, witty ways to say, you know, great job with some of them because um, I don't have to give feedback anymore besides saying great job. Um, and I don't want to sound like a broken record and I don't want them to, um, you know, revert back to, to old ways. So I want to continually positively reinforce this is exactly what I'm looking for. Thank you so much. Great job. You know, just because someone gets it also, they still need to hear that they got it every time. Exactly. You can probably say good job five times in a row and it will still be music to a freelance writer's ear or any writer in-house you know whatever form that might be so going going kind of like back one step something that's quite foundational and it's something that I'm quite passionate about is the old content brief 
And we've talked about outlines briefly just now, but I feel like there is, there's been a direct correlation between getting every stakeholder involved in the outline creation process and how many like broad top level edits there are and feedback when it comes to you know getting that feedback from whether it be clients in our case or any in-house content marketers you know internal stakeholders their boss other c-suite executives so when writers get involved in the outline process what is the best way to collaborate with them in order to make sure that the outline is setting the right path and is going to lead to the best content possible on a specific topic yeah, absolutely. So this is going to be sounding a bit like a broken record by the end of this, but the, the brief is all about telling them exactly what you want. So uh, a brief should be as detailed as possible. You cannot put too much information in there. I mean, you don't want it to be like 10 pages, but ours tend to be around two pages long. Um, and so what you want to put in there is first and foremost, the guidelines, whether they're your own or if there's a stakeholder involved, your clients, because every client Again, if they are a client that knows what they want, which if they don't know what they want, then that's something that you should just pause and back up and find out. Um, but if they know what they want, then they'll know exactly, you know, down to the things like, you know, whether or not they want you to use the Oxford comma. Um, little things like what kind of English they write in. Is it American? Is it British? Is it Australian? I mean, that's important. Um, that can bother people if you get it wrong consistently. Um, so you want the writer to open up those guidelines and read them and get familiar with what their expectations are, especially their voice and tone. Um, and then you want to include reference material. So we use a tier, uh, sorry, a tool called ClearScope where you can type in the uh, title or the keyword that you're looking for and find competitor content or competitive or most common used terms, so relevant terms. Um, and you want to include that information. Here's what is ranking for this similar thing. You know, please take a look, um, become familiar with the environment that we're trying to compete in so that you can see what they do well, what they don't do well, um, what you can emulate in a, your own unique way and where there's a missed opportunity. So it's important to include reference content. And then of course, the outline will come from them doing this research that you provide to them and taking the time to get to know what you want and what other people are delivering that you want them to do better, um, especially the target audience information, if I didn't mention that already. Just saying this is for this audience, so this is the angle that we want you to take. That's pretty important as well. Yeah, absolutely. And also the job of the content strategist or content marketing manager, whoever is leading the charge and directing the content. I mean, content positioning is key. And I don't know if this is a term that other people use, but I figured it's like one of the best ways of putting it. And it's a statement that basically says, okay, this is what the competitive out, the, the competitive landscape looks like. This is what we're up against. And these are the gaps that haven't been filled. You know, so include these bits of informations, uh, information. Here's a gap that we can fill using, you know, this proprietary data or thought leadership from within the uh, client organization in our case that can just help it stand out. So not only are we making Google happy, but we're giving it a unique and original spin. Um, and that's, a, and without going into the weeds here in terms of all of the same old, same content on Google, but you do have to play Google's game sometimes, more often than not, in order to rank. But that doesn't mean you have to copy everything else that's out there. And I think that's where content positioning can really help writers bring out an outline and also give them permission to do something a little bit different. Because I think, you know, a lot of 
um, writers are used to like the habit of just, okay, so this, for example, this client wants this piece of content ranking for this particular keyword. Let's look at what's already ranking and just make it better without really thinking about the gap. And I think with in the brief, you know, telling them not only who the audience is, as you said, but here are the gaps here, are, you know, this is how we're going to position it. This is what we're going to make it, do to make it different. Go nuts. Absolutely. Yep. The more information, the better. And then our process uh, with the outline is, is some clients will write the, not the whole outline, but they'll write the, the header themes and the sub themes for a writer. Um, that is completely okay. If you feel like you have a really, really strong vision that you just want to tell the writer, you know, here, do this. Um, at Grizzle, we prefer not to do that because um, personally, and from what we've experienced, when a writer goes out and reads all of the material out there and looks at tools like ClearScope and sees relevant terms, um, they'll be able to glean what those headers should be themselves. And to us, that's kind of a nice sense check that they have done their job at this stage, that they are dedicated to the research, that they are capable of taking all of this information and condensing it in a way that makes sense. Um, it's part of the creative process. So we have our writers create the whole outline from scratch. Um, but then we, you know, like you said, with the stakeholders, we all look at it and we all make sure that it's exactly what we want before we spend any time um, bringing it to life. Exactly. And I think, you know, that nicely transitions us into like the next phase of kind of finding and onboarding writers. And I guess the key is there is onboarding. And I think it's part of the reason why, you know, we do trust writers just to run with the outline. And I think there's a few reasons. It's, it's you know, giving them as much guidance up front with our playbooks um, after a pilot project and also giving them enough information during. Um, but, but yeah, you know, giving, that, them the, giving them that continuous feedback, as it were. So let's say we've gone through the pilot process, they've got loads of feedback we want to work with them on a long-term basis. What does that onboarding process look like? Yeah, so everything I just said about how you have to tell them what you want um, in terms of content, you now have to tell them what you want in terms of operations. So same deal, they can't read your mind. If you expect that, um, if you expect that they need to hit a deadline, you may need to make that super clear up front. You know, some people, it's okay if you deliver it a couple days late. Um, sometimes that's even okay with us. That's been completely fine. Sometimes we leave a buffer on purpose because, you know, writers aren't perfect and you want to leave room. But um, if you have deadlines that you need to hit, you need to say, look, you know, we can't ever risk something being late. And you put that up front. Um, you also tell them what your own processes are. So here's exactly how we're going to brief you in. Um, here's how ahead of time we'll send you the brief. Um, we're then going to give you feedback on the outline. So pause after you write the outline, send it to us. We'll look at it, send it back to you. Then we'll tell you to write the draft, send it to us. We're going to look at it um, and then either be on call or not for feedback. So some writers are used to processes where they send something and then, you know, wipe their hands of it and they've done their job. And um, other writers are familiar with feedback loops where, you know, they need to be on call for one or two feedback loops just in case they've missed the mark in some way and, and you want them to rewrite it. So make all of that super clear, your expectations of them, your, um, your SLAs and your SOPs right from the beginning, how long you want something to take, what your promised turnaround time will be. Um, and then again, lead by example. So if you say, I'm going to get feedback to you the same day or the next day, do it because if you're consistently late, then then how can they, you know, trust that they or or feel the need 
to respect you know their own deadline if you can't respect your own so just outlining exactly what your process is 100 percent, and that's why you need an editor to set <laughs> those standards and, and actually give feedback on time because uh when you're doing it when you're doing it all it's very difficult to meet you know those promises to your own suppliers as well as the the needs that you've set in-house and um, that actually another another nice little segue as an editor you seem to be the glue between basically all stakeholders so you know managing the writer feeding you know your own feedback to them but also what a stakeholder or a client might feedback to you so how do you best manage you know the bridge between uh those relationships a client comes back to you and gives you a particular piece of feedback yeah well i mean personally for me it helped a lot to have project manager experience because you learn as a project manager that people are going to be having a lot of opinions and giving you feedback from all around and um you know, at the end of the day, you're getting paid by a stakeholder to do a job. So um, you have to learn how to manage it calmly and sort of manage everyone's emotions in a way where you, you keep your eye on the ball, you know. Um, and so for me, um, I never tell the writer, you know, this client said you did a bad job. I, I mean, I, I don't think that it's helpful to give that negative feedback if it comes to the writer, because you always want to promote growth in your writers. And so I'll take the negative feedback on if there is any, and I'll take responsibility for it. I mean, ultimately, I'm the last line of defense before we send it to the client. So if something totally misses the mark, that's not the writer's fault. That's my fault as the editor. So I manage my relationship with my clients completely as like a whole separate entity than my relationship with the writer. Um, yeah, so I'll get feedback from them. And if there's something that the writer needs to do, I'll relay it to them in a way where I, you know, I don't pass any blame, but I say, you know, this has become something that the writer feels is really important or they've shifted gears and now they're prioritizing this strategy over this strategy. And I'll just, again, lead by example, tell them how I fixed it. Um, if it's, if it's that big of a mistake, I'll just go in and fix it myself. I won't ask the writer to do it. Um, and then I'll show them, you know, this is what we need to do next time. Of course, if it becomes a problem where they can't ever get it, then that's a different conversation, but uh, usually they do. So that's an awful lot to manage with, I imagine a tremendous amount of tools. So in terms of you know operations and technology, how do you go about managing that? What does that system look like when you're opening, you know, in our case, it's Airtable and we're looking at, the bird's eye view of what we've got to manage, what does that look like? What data information do we hold all in one place? Yeah, so I would never recommend being a project manager or an editor or even a writer, or even a writer. really anyone that has a lot of things going on, um, I'd never recommend doing that without some sort of a project management tool. Um, so like Tom just said, Airtable is our go-to for us at Grizzle. Um, I've used a bunch over the the years and Airtable is just really cool with its capabilities. But yeah, so you need to know specifically um, who your writers are and, and what they're working on, um, who's managing them, who the content manager is. Um, it needs to be really easy to open something up, find something and be able to just boom, open the drafts, like a link to the Google Drive or wherever you keep it. Um, and then all of the successive deadlines. So when the outline is due, 
when the first draft is due, when we told the client that we're going to get it to them. So if there's a buffer, um, then you'll be able to see that really clearly. Like, okay, cool. The writer's delivering something to me on the first and I have to get it to the writer by the third. Um, I'm sorry, the client by the third. So that's important. Um, and then when the final draft is due and when the plan is for that to be published. So you have to be able to open your computer or your project management tool and just see all of that right away. Um, and then of course, customize it to however your brain works. So my brain seems to work best when I look at things in a list of by client um, and then I organize it by, I list it by due dates and I say, okay, this is what's upcoming. Um, these are the client expectations uh, and these are the writers who are doing it. And it's really easy to keep track of it that way. Do you have a similar tool to manage the uh, inbound writer applicants? Uh, yeah, I do. I'm not as on top of that as I should be. I will admit that. I will admit that. Um, we're, we're ironing out those kinks. We are ironing out those kinks. Um, luckily for us, we have a lot of applications, which is a good problem to have. Um, mm. But I forgot to mention the status tool, of course, like any uh, you know, person who uses a tool, you need to have a status bar. So in progress, editing, addressing feedback, et cetera. So that's important to keep that front of mind as well. But yeah, when, when writers send in their application, it populates into Airtable and um, we get to see you know, the answers to the questions that they filled out in the form, their portfolios, their rates, um, all of it is right there and really easy to go through. And um, when we want someone to pilot, we have one uh, button that we click and when we're gonna pass, we have another one um, and it's all quite organized and just Airtable is fabulous. <laughs> Especially since they've introduce those automations oh don't get me started on that <laughs> i uh, absolutely love it <laughs> a, a whole different podcast episode where we, you and i could just talk about zapier and airtable mm. automations but let's go back into the content for a second because objectively there is a difference between good and bad content and uh, as a content marketer myself i know what i look for in content but you seem to have a very keen eye for language used, tonality, you see redundancies that I, as a, as a marketer first and a writer second, don't always see. What does your quality assurance checklist look like when you're going through and you're polishing a piece of content to be the best it can be? So um, I don't know if this is something that I picked up in my education um, or my experiences as a freelance writer, but um, something that is really important to me is that you don't make the same point twice in a row. There's just no need for it, especially in content marketing when people are skimming. Uh, redundancy, you know, you read the same thing in two different ways and that's, it's so easy to just be like, okay, this, is, this isn't well written, I'm gonna click off. And again, that th those two sentences can be the best two sentences you've ever read in your life. But if they say the same thing back to back or if they use too many of the same words, it'll come across as in a buzzkill. Um, you have to keep that in mind when you're thinking about who's reading it. Again, your audience matters. So um, I guess I just read it from the idea that you never want to say more than you have to. Um, don't use superfluous words. Um, keep it interesting. Um, switch up the length of the sentences. So you have a short sentence, um, then you'll probably want someone of a long sentence. Um, just keep it interesting is the best way to put it. Of course, that, that's a specific sentence by sentence basis. On a whole, um, the piece has to be captivating. And when I go to Google something um, to find out anything, I want the answer straight away. So that's something that we do at Grizzle. We always kind of front load with 
here's the problem. Uh, here's a question about the problem that we're going to pose, and then he, we're going to answer it. And we're going to answer it right now. So we'll tell you straight away. This is the this is the definition of the thing that you're struggling with, and here's the problem that a lot of people have uh, read on for the solution. Essentially, as opposed to to a long-winded kind of you know story that that just goes on about something that either the the reader already knows about, or it takes you a thousand words to start giving anyone answers. People want answers when they're Googling things. So it really matters, you know, how you structure it in a way that's captivating and in a way where, you know, it keeps people reading to the point where they get to the end and they're like, oh, I'm done. Cool. Okay. I, and, and I feel like I've gotten everything I need from it by the end. In, in terms of content writing, that aligns nicely with, um, well, what the SEO world believes is a big ranking factor, which is dwell time. You know, someone lands on a piece of content, they want the answer, they want to know at least that they're getting the answer right away um, instead of going through, you know, waffle. And sometimes, you know, stories are really powerful and you can open up with a story, but it needs to, it needs to speak to a shared experience with that audience, right? And it all comes down to the intro. As a, as a writer myself, and I know several writers who absolutely despise writing introductions and conclusions you actually enjoy that part of the writing process why is that i absolutely love introductions and conclusions i i don't know why this is i know you call me crazy for feeling this way um i mean that's that's the uh, pg <laughs> version of it <laughs> yeah. look the introduction is is the first thing that people read, obviously. Um, the conclusion matters a bit less, but it should wrap things up really nicely. Um, both serve as a high level overview. It's like a mini article within an article. Um, it needs to explain why this topic is something that anyone would even search for. Um, throw some statistics in there if they exist about uh, that backs up, you know, what you just said, you know, don't take my word for it. This is a thing that people have a problem with or a thing that people love or whatever the topic is. Um, and then raise a point of, you know, so obviously we know you're here reading this thing because you have a problem. Um, and here's our take on how it can be fixed. We're going to show you this, 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 and this. Um, and I just love, I love writing high level overviews. I mean, it's fun getting into the, into the weeds and explaining things, but I guess I just have a, a, a weird ping of joy enters my heart when um, I can explain something in a really broad way. Intro mean, introduction dopamine. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's like starting a speech. You know, it's like it's the first thing that you say is either gonna make people fall in love with you or you know make them look down at their phones and ignore you for the rest of the time. It just matters, and so because it matters so much, I think I enjoy it. Plus, I, I just love high-level overviews. I love that word. I love writing them. Details are great, you know, um, but high-level overviews explain in the simplest way why the thing that you're about to spend, you know, go into the details of matters and why you should care. Um, and so I just, I, I like it. I can't explain it further than that. I just like it. <laughs> 100%. I love it. Well well put. I'll never, I'll never share that notion, but um, <laughs> there we go. I think I think that really covers it for me. Um, this is this is a two way conversation. Is there anything you really want to cover or talk about or even? Sure. I mean, I've got I've got questions. If you'll take them, let's go back to the outline then, um, because you're the one who, uh, you know, or you or, or whoever's in your position of the content strategist is the one who has the 
the right, in our, at least in our process, to say, yeah, this is exactly on point. You've hit all the themes. And that's because your role, which is completely separate from mine, like you're the mastermind of, you know, I'm, I explain why the topic matters after you find the topic, but I didn't necessarily know the topic mattered until you told me it did. You're the one who has to go figure out why the heck it matters that people are searching for it in the first place. Um, and then come up with the angle that we give our writers of how we should approach this. So I guess, um, what's your process to do that? And uh, how can you tell if an outline is, is hitting the mark or if they need to position it differently? Yeah, very good question. First of all, I wouldn't call myself a mastermind. I'm just an idiot who tried a bunch of things <laughs> and, until he found something that worked. Um, but yeah, it Here's all comes down. <laughs> Indeed. For us, it all comes down to understanding, for, for us being an agency, we really need to understand the client, their objectives, and most importantly, the audience, which comes down to the customers. So we're going really high level here, but it's a really important first step. It's something that all writers and content marketers really need to understand, which is, you know, what are the relevant pain points, challenges, needs, desires that your audience and customers share? And customers is the key thing because for, you know, we, we work with mostly B2B and SaaS companies. When we think audience, yeah, it's really, it's good to capture as wide an audience as possible if your objective is awareness, branding, and demand generation. But within that, at some point, even if it's top of funnel content, you need to speak to the direct challenges with the language of your customers, which is why speaking to your customers is so important, right? So there's a critical first step in terms of, um, establishing that strategy and it goes into every single content brief and as the strategist once you've done that work you can see if an outline is going to cover those bases within the topic you know again if you want to rank on google for something and you know search driven content is the primary goal which for a lot of enterprise level companies and mid-market companies you know they've They've, they've ticked the bottom of funnel needs. And now it's time to go, you know, for the m more competitive search terms, the more competitive topics, etc. You have to kind of cover the basics, which is where this kind of notion of all the content on page one looks the same. It could be a perpetuating problem, but regardless, it's the state of play. Um, within that, you've got to not only, you know, make things original, like we said earlier, but also speak directly to your ideal customer. You're almost kind of like reaching out of the screen and calling them out. And you can do that very early on with the outline, you know? So outlines, they, they often present very broad high level ideas. It's the descriptions that writers give within those subheadings that will like really give you an idea of if they truly understand the customer and the topic, right? Um, and again, just like you, they can't read your mind. We try and give that information as much as possible through the um, target audience information within the brief. Um, you know, having those discussions early on in the onboarding phase as well. But yeah, just just continuous feedback. You know, keep keep telling them. So okay, bear in mind you've got to include this in here. Sales directors and managers, this is their problem. They're more interested in this than that. So touch upon this, but focus more on this. Bringing all that feedback back into the outline again, as we said, it just makes, it makes the editing process a lot more easier if you cover that in the outline. Love it. I mean, I look at outlines and I can sort of do that, but I haven't spent the time that you have obviously at that point 
learning who else is, who the key players are. Um, and obviously I have to do that. That's another important part of the editorial process. If you expect the writers to go out and read everything on, on page one, even page two, you better do it yourself. You know, like you, you have to practice what you preach. So you do it. Then we expect the writers to do it. Then I do it. Um, and by the end, uh, the idea is that we're all mini, mini authorities on, you know, not the topic itself, if we aren't experts ourselves, which I hope we are with what we're writing on, but, um, you know, what the playing field is uh, and what the, you all have to, to put the time in to, to figure out what the audience wants. And then, you know, obviously more specifically what your audience wants and how they fit into that target market. hundred percent. And as often as possible, I try, we try to encourage writers to go out and have those conversations themselves. So if they are really embedded with us and are going up for the journey that we are going on along with our clients, then having them having those discussions is imperative. And it's not always, especially, you know, depending on how much red tape you have to go through with a client, you can't always have client conversations, but you can speak to the individuals who speak with the customers, right? So that might be, you know, the, the sales reps and customer success teams that's that's it really um at startups it could be you know product people it's likely and should be the ceo as well as the marketers as well right just to get that all-encompassing idea but one thing uh, writers can do and it's something that we do encourage is to go out find other experts and just ask if you know they can ask them a few questions even if it's over email um, especially when it comes to a specific topic because that helps them you know draw insights from the field not just what other articles and books are saying right yeah exactly absolutely i mean it's like it comes all comes full circle to the beginning of if it's important to you that the writer sort of has those insights from their own experiences, um, or if they're able to go out there, if you expect them to go out there and, and ask people questions. Um, I, I think that a super writer does both. Um, and so- um, Super writer, <laughs> what, what, a, what a superhero so, There are there. super writers out there. It's like, everyone says, what makes a good writer? There, everyone, everyone that claims to be a writer uh, can be a good writer, you know? I think that's, that's really it. I think we've said, what we need to say on the topic. Um, there is no one size fits all writer and you have to be the one to tell them what you want. And then if they're a good writer, they'll deliver it. And if, you know, they're not the writer for you, it doesn't mean they're a bad writer. It just means they're not the writer for you. So it is a trial and error process and um, it takes time and patience, like all good things in life. So. Amen to that. Amen to that. Erica, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. Before you dash, just a quick note to share a free ebook we just published called the Content Operations Playbook. If you're interested in content marketing and SEO, then this ebook is for you. We lift the hood up on our own editorial and content production processes from hiring writers, creating solid content briefs, polishing content to be the best it can be, and of course, distributing it to actually generate traffic. It's totally free and you can download it over at grizzle.io forward slash content ops. That's www.grizzle.io forward slash content ops. And hey, if you enjoy this podcast, feel free to subscribe. We've got a lot of great conversations lined up with experts in the world of business, marketing, and entrepreneurship coming up. Thanks again.